If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, uh, I am in the middle of a series that I have called Unoffendable. And in this series, we're mainly focusing on the idea of righteous anger, anger, uh, stresses of many kinds. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about the way that anger and stress affects us physically and psychologically and how Jesus knew this. If Jesus was the smartest man who ever lived, he knows how to live. He knows how our lives should be lived. Now, with that fact stated, I'm going to give you a statement that's going to sound a little bit out of left field. Zebras don't get ulcers. In fact, no animals really get ulcers. Only humans experience ulcers, and there's a reason. Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers is the title of a highly acclaimed book by Stanford neurologist Dr. Robert Robert Sapolsky. In it, he distinguishes between the real stresses of life encountered by wild animals and the psychological stresses experienced by humans. He goes on to demonstrate the devastating effect of chronic stress on the human body. The concept, when fully understood, explains in a very logical manner how stress is slowly killing us and what we can do about it. Human and animals are born with a biological stress response called fight or flight. I'm sure you've heard this before. When we perceive that we are in a life or death situation, the chemistry of our body changes in such a way as to help us save ourselves from the threat. And during this hyper state of arousal, a flood of hormones are released by the adrenal glands, including adrenaline and cortisol. Now, adrenaline boosts our energy and increases our heart rate and our blood pressure. And the burst of cortisol impacts our blood pressure, raises our blood sugar levels, and increases our lung capacity. Now, during fight or flight, Cortisol also reduces non-essential life-saving functions, including altering the immune system, suppressing the digestive and reproductive systems, and turning off some of the processes that enable your body to actually grow. So you can imagine that this would come in handy for a zebra who is being chased by a lion. But after three minutes of screaming terror, the zebra has either been eaten or has escaped. If he's lucky enough to have survived, the stress response ends. He feels safe again, his body function returns to normal, and he goes about his zebra day. As important as the fight or flight response is, it's equally important for the body to return to that state of relaxation. The stress response is intended to be a short-term response. But we humans are different. We experience stress for many reasons that have nothing to do with life or death. Paying bills, raising a family, maintaining relationships, performing at our jobs. These are known as psychological stressors or fears that exist in our heads. Now, that's not to say that these types of stresses are not real to us in the here and now, but they are not actual life or death situations. But the body can't distinguish between the stress of a loved one being ill and the stress of being chased by a lion. In both cases, it will release adrenaline and cortisol. 
to enable you to deal with the situation at hand. The problem is that many of us find ourselves in a constant state of psychological stress. And as soon as we overcome one stressful situation, we find ourselves in another. The bills might be paid for this month now, but now you need to resolve that fight with your spouse. And then you need to prepare that presentation for work. When you're in an actual fight or flight situation, your body uses up the extra cortisol it produces. However, if you aren't actually fighting or fleeing, that cortisol has nowhere to go. <clears throat> Sorry, that was parched. <clears throat> so let's go back to the zebra. When the lion began chasing him, his body kicked in the adrenaline and the cortisol to enable him to escape. He then burned up all that excess cortisol as he was running away and returned to a non-stress state. The cortisol and the adrenaline produced was, the production rather, was halted, his blood pressure came down, his heart rate decreased, and his bodily functions returned to normal. The stress response is helpful in the short term, but the impact of being in a continued state of stress is devastating to the health of the body. Research has shown that a prolonged stress response can increase levels of cortisol, of increased levels of cortisol, can cause heart disease, depression, digestive issues, sleep problems, anxiety, weight gain, memory loss, and many other serious health issues. There are also studies that show that increased levels of stress in children can shut down production of growth hormones and stunt physical development. Now, Dr. Robert Sapolsky, Robert, I keep saying Robert, Robert Sapolsky, who is a strident atheist, said this about his findings. He concluded that humans should stop borrowing stress from the future and just worry about today. Be more like the animals and don't hold on to stress because stress is shortening our lives. Which is an interesting conclusion, given that Jesus said that exact same thing 2,000 years ago. We often choose to worry about things that haven't happened yet. Worse yet, we often worry about things that may not happen at all. The key word here is that we choose. We choose to worry about these things. Emotions like worry and anxiety and stress and even anger are a choice. Now, not at first, of course. When something bad or unexpected happens, most of us don't mentally pause for a moment and decide whether or not we're going to get angry about it. Those initial bursts of emotions are reactionary. They are responses to stimuli, either external or internal. But what happens next is our choice. We can choose to embrace those emotions and carry them as part of our lives or as part of our identity, or we can choose to get rid of them. Now, this is exactly what Jesus taught in the following passage. We're going to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. You can read along in your Bible, on your phone, or it's going to be up on the screen if you want to follow along there. Matthew 6, 24 through, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Life isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? 
And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now we have to learn to live like Jesus says here, letting go of what stresses us out. Conversely, you can become one of those curmudgeons that get upset at everything they see and start hitting you with their ankles with the shopping cart when you're at the Walmart and you're taking too long to move up in line. Whenever I encounter somebody like that, I always want to ask them the question that you can't ask them because it's offensive. I want to ask, have you always been this angry? When did it start? How do I keep from becoming like you? So you can't ask that question. I know that. Now. We become a caricature of what we hold on to in our lives. Carrying anger doesn't just impact us in the present moment, but it also influences who we're becoming in the future. We are all becoming something. It might be hideous. It might be beautiful. But we're becoming something. I really want to lay out the genius of Jesus and how his way of radical forgiveness actually shapes us, not just spiritually, but also physically. His way is better. He doesn't just know how humans think, he knows how humans thrive. The stress that we experience when we feel threatened is supposed to be a temporary thing. That's point number one. Stress and anger should be temporary. There are physiological changes that happen to our bodies when we feel threatened. Like I said, elevated blood pressure, cortisol level spikes, increases in adrenaline, all that. But these changes are supposed to last only 30 seconds to three minutes and then be over. Human beings are the only creatures that hold on to these stressors, which leads to long-term consequences like weight gain, skin changes, heart problems, diabetes down the line, pretty much everything I have. There are physical and relational benefits to quickly getting rid of anger. So we're already at point number two. Getting rid of anger is healthy. If we hold on to peace, we are seen as peaceful. If we hold on to anger, we are seen as bitter and angry. This is why it's important now for us to change our lives and become different kinds of people, to actually let people off the hook in light of what God has done for us. One of the most important things I've learned is in how I think of unbelievers is to treat them as I would have wanted to be treated when I was an unbeliever. And a lot of us can think of times before we came to Christ where we really struggled with the idea of God and Christianity and the church. A time when we had mostly negative thoughts about Christians. And where do those thoughts come from? They usually came from our interactions with Christians. They didn't come from God. They didn't come from the morality of the Bible. They came from how we were treated by a handful of people who claimed to be Christians but treated us like dirt. 
Now imagine you're one of those Christians and you are talking to someone who already doesn't like the church. What you say in that moment could drive them further away or it could bring them closer to home. It could be the first step back to the idea of faith again. What determines that will be if you speak in anger or if you speak in love. Too many Christians speak, in, speak to unbelievers in anger because they are unafraid that, they are afraid rather, that everything they hold on to to be good and true is slipping away in this world. And so we lash out. The issue of letting go of anger is certainly centrally about trusting in God. And that's point number three. Holding on to stress and anger is a lack of trust in God. I remember when Eli was uh, about almost three years old. It was winter, it was cold, and we were going to Grandma and Grandpa's house. Uh, But first I had to run like three or four errands. So I had Eli all bundled up into a big puff ball of of zippers and gloves and hat and straps. And click, 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 click him into the car seat. And then at each stop, I had to unclick, click, 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 pull him out of that whole mess, take him inside, go do the thing, come back to the car, shove him back in there, click, 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 over and over again until we got through all of our errands. Just constant movement for him, in and out, in and out, in and out. And finally, as we were driving to his grandparents' house, he asked me, Daddy, where are we going? And I realized that I never told him what our final destination was. But throughout the whole time of driving, stopping, click, 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 he wasn't worried. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't stressed. He wasn't confused. He just trusted the driver. He trusted his dad. He knew that whatever was happening, he was safe, and there was nothing to worry about. A better way to live is to trust that God will deliver us and will execute his justice. If we trust in God as the driver of our lives, we don't have to worry about where we're going. Jesus once told his followers, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That was Matthew 11.30. We tend to focus on the second part of that verse because we like the ideas of burdens being light. But we aren't as familiar with yokes today as they were in the first century. Now, in Jesus' day, the obvious definition for a yoke was that weird wooden thing the farmers placed on the neck of oxen to keep them in line during plowing. So most of those yokes were big and heavy and cumbersome, not easy at all. But the second definition of yoke had to do with religious teachers. Each rabbi had a set of teachings that he wanted his disciples to follow, which was also called a yoke. And most rabbis had heavy yokes. Their disciples had to memorize huge portions of scripture. They were forbidden from engaging in certain recreational activities. Many were not allowed to get married, so on and so forth. Jesus had his own yoke that he called his disciples to follow. His own expectations for how they should live and work and interact with the world. But his yoke was easy and light. It produced rest and peace rather than stress and strain. So let's take a closer look at the passage in which Jesus talks about this yoke. And this is Matthew 11, 
We're going to read verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we have seen that holding on to corrosive emotions such as anger, worry, and anxiety is a choice. It's something we decide to do that causes us harm, both psychologically and physiologically. It's for this reason that God told us to let those emotions go, to get rid of them. Trusting God is also a choice. In this case, it's something we decide to do that produces benefits both psychologically and physiologically. Choosing to trust God allows us to not only get rid of the anger, but also to actively experience rest, peace, fulfillment, and joy. Life becomes much easier when we choose not to be offended by people who are broken. And that's point number four. Life is easier when we stop getting angry at broken people or stop choosing anger. Did anyone see the movie The Help from a little over a decade ago? If you did, you'll remember the antagonist was a woman named Miss Hilly, who was so full of self-righteousness that she made the lives of the servant staff miserable. And one of her staff was a woman named Abilene, who had had enough. And Miss Hilly was threatened, had threatened to frame her for stealing and to put her in jail. Convinced in that moment that even with that threat, what she was doing was justified. Abilene didn't back down. She called her out, but then she softened a bit to ask a question. Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? Abilene was cross with Miss Hilly, maybe as angry as she's ever been in that moment, and yet there's still that twinge of empathy because Abilene knew what a burden it must be to carry around so much arrogance and anger all the time. It's just tiring. It's tiring to continue holding on to our self-righteousness. And it's such a relief to just let God take it. To let it go. Some of you are new and you might not know this about me. But I have a radio morning show that I currently do with my wife as of this year. And have done for about five years prior to that with a friend of mine. This show is a a Christian show for a Christian station, but it's not overtly religious in nature. We talk about fun and funny stuff, nerdy news, we play games, uh, we tackle topics from a nerdy and a church perspective occasionally, but we don't generally get into the big culturally dividing topics that are on constant repeat everywhere else. We just kind of avoid that. We want you to have fun. Most of the feedback over the years that we've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive, but there was one message we got over Facebook that really hit me hard a couple years ago. And so I'm going to read it to you. It said, I've been listening to your show for a while now, and frankly, I'm tired of waiting for you to say something important. 
You prattle on every day about things that don't matter while spiritual warfare is happening in our nation. Why aren't you speaking out about how God is being disrespected by our government and society? Why can't you stand against the woke agenda? Apparently I'm not mean enough to people that don't believe like I do. You have such a big platform to say something to further the kingdom of Christ, but you won't. You'll just prattle on about Star Wars for an hour. I just can't listen to this pointless nonsense anymore. It gets worse from there. Now, frankly, any time in the past that someone has said something negative to me, I have felt the urge, the need, to correct them. I needed them to know that they were wrong. I needed even to win back their approval. I needed to be loved by the people that I thought hated me. Because the idea that somebody had something against me like that drove me insane. But over the last decade or so, I've mellowed out quite a bit. And I saw this for what it was. Kind of sad. This person decided there is no room in God's kingdom for joy, for fun, for camaraderie, for shared interests. This person believed it's a Christian's chief duty to be righteously angry all the time, fighting God's battles for him. But I wasn't angry. I wasn't angry at society, and I wasn't angry at this person. If anything, I empathized with her, knowing that that is the kind of person I used to be. And how miserable I was during that time. I didn't respond to her. I prayed for her. I prayed blessings over her. I prayed joy over her. And I let it go. I didn't hang on to it. I didn't get an ulcer over it. I had my moment of fight or flight. And I happily fled. Instead of reacting in anger when someone is being rude or or talking badly to us, we can return a kind word and actually ask God to bless this person. They say practice makes perfect, which is true in many ways. We can actively practice a new skill or a new behavior. And when we do that, we have a better chance of mastering that skill or behavior over time. This is true for both positive and negative things, though. It's entirely possible to practice making the wrong decisions and becoming great at it. But it's also possible to practice the right decisions. And when we reject opportunities to change or improve, we're actually making perfect our status quo. We're saying that how we are now is fine. We're passively choosing not to change for the better. So... Let's actively practice something positive instead. The Bible says that when we do this, respond to the person in kindness, our gentle answer will turn away both their wrath and our own wrath. As a reminder, the message of this series is not that we should never get angry. Rather, it's that we should stop holding on to that anger. Stop carrying it with us. Stop reacting out of it. How have you been impacted physically during seasons of high anger or stress? Because there are several physiological cues connected to anger that I'm sure we're all familiar with. First, there's the idea of blood boiling. Anger is often associated with feelings of heat, whether, whether it's in our cheeks or our forehead, the back of our neck. 
Other physiological clue, uh, cues include clenched fists, squinted eyes, snarling lips, rapid breathing, a thumping heart. Those are all physiological effects of anger of which we're most aware, but the ones that register on the surface are easy to point out. It's the other effects, the ones below the surface, that cause the most damage. There just aren't lots of references to anger in the Bible as something wonderful. And yet, we're now told that it's a gift for us to use when we feel it's reasonable. We're also told that we should be aroused to anger when we see one of God's commands being broken. Really? Because if that's the case, we're going to be really busy. We're going to be really, really busy all the time, really, really angry all the time. And that's just at ourselves to begin with, let alone everybody else that we see. Maybe I'm supposed to get angry that often. Maybe it really is a gift. Maybe it'll make my life more joyful and peaceful. So long as I don't also mind the burning, the blazing, the cloud bursting, the striking, the thundering, the hailing, the tearing, the piercing, the trampling, the slaughtering, the boiling, and the occasional blasting that I feel in my body. If this is in fact what we're supposed to do, experience righteous anger whenever we're made aware of one of God's commands being broken, will be precisely what the world doesn't need and largely believes that we already are. A bunch of uptight, seething hypocrites. The Bible directs us to get rid of anger. Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Colossians 3.8, But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. But the idea of righteous anger turns this directive on its head. We can actually pat ourselves on the back for being offended and embracing anger. And all of that boiling, that piercing, that corrosive power becomes part of our lives and it destroys us. In fact, the term corrosive power is uh, a, a perfect analogy for this because it's something that disintegrates or decays from the inside out. If I get to determine whether my anger is righteous or not, then I am in trouble. And so are you, because we cannot trust ourselves. Trusting yourself sounds like a perfectly rational thing to do. The problem is, for the believer, it isn't biblical at all. We are deceptive to the core. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It's incurable. Who can understand it? Or try this, Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seems right to the person, but in the end, it's the way to death. Or, that's a far cry from trusting yourself in Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We struggle with trusting God to mete out justice. We are afraid that he won't mete out justice. That people won't get what they deserve. And so perhaps our entitlement to anger is our little way of making sure that at least some measure of justice is served. And we are too good at deceiving ourselves to know if we have righteous anger or regular, old, just terrible anger. It's both. They're both the same thing. Maybe this is why there is no such allowance for righteous anger in Scripture. 
Even so, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're innocent or we're justified or we're victimized. Next week, we will talk a lot more about justice. As for this week, I'm going to end on an object lesson. One of the nerdiest allegories for anger comes from the world of comic books and Marvel movies, and that is the Hulk, a.k.a. Bruce Banner. Bruce is just a normal dude, but when he gets angry, he becomes this guy. His famous line from decades gone by, maybe in the old TV series you might have seen, is, don't make me angry, you won't like me when I'm angry. It's a nice little threat. (laughs) Bruce is normally just a man. When he gets angered, he becomes a raging green monster, usually not in control of whom he is even hurting with his rage. If you've watched the Marvel movies that have come out, you'll recall that a lot of Hulk stories, especially early on, involve everyone else on his superhero team trying to protect themselves from him. They have a glass cage that's like impossible for him to break through, They have a special suit, an Iron Man suit that's made to try and overpower him. They even have soothing mantras to try and calm him down and bring him back to his human form. And they have all these things because they are terrified of what he'll do when he gets out of control. Bruce's famous line at the end of the Avengers movie is, That's my secret. I'm always angry. The truth of Bruce Banner is that he was also always miserable. And often he was dangerous to be around. And it wasn't until over a decade of Marvel movies that he realized he needed to work to understand that angry side of him in order to refocus that energy into something more positive. The Hulk is a silly comic book manifestation of what anger and stress actually really does to us, physically and psychologically. Is that how you want to feel on the inside? It's time to take care of ourselves better. And that starts by learning to let our anger go.